Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. If you want to hear more than just this highlight from the program, become a Coast Insider, and you can listen to the full episode plus recent shows covering the mysterious death of Kurt Cobain, the possibility that government may soon reveal the truth about UFOs, and the power of witchcraft as told by an actual practicing witch. Start listening now by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Andrew Roberts. His book is called Churchill, Walking with Destiny. Dr. Andrew Roberts has a Ph.D. from Cambridge University, a visiting professor at the War Studies Department of King's College in London, the Lehrman Institute Distinguished Lecturer at the New York Historical Society, author of 13-plus books, He's a trustee of the International Churchill Society, the Margaret Thatcher Archive Trust, and the National Portrait Gallery. Andrew, the uh, clip that I played, uh, pretty remarkable speech during those days, wasn't it? You know, it still has the capacity to make my um, spine tingle, those words. It's, uh, it's never failed to have a almost physical effect on me when I hear them. Do we have statesmen like Churchill and Roosevelt during that era? Do we have them around anymore? We don't really, but um, we're lucky in a sense because we haven't got a world war. Winston Churchill would not have become prime minister had there not been a uh, a global catastrophe on the sort of level of uh, world war. He was wildly and widely mistrusted by the Conservative Party uh, during the um, 1930s, even though he was the person who got it right about Adolf Hitler and the Nazis when they were getting it wrong. And so... Actually, one of the uh, things is that the the time makes the man, and it certainly did in this case. Was he loved in England during his time period? Oh, absolutely. He was worshipped. He he won um, uh, 90% approval ratings pretty much throughout the whole of the period from 1940 to uh, early 1945, which is an astonishing thing. It's never been seen before or since, by any British Prime Minister. Andrew, you've been writing about Churchill for more than 30 years. What was it that caught your uh, your interest? Oh, well, he's just the giant, isn't he? He's the greatest Englishman, <laughs> and he's somebody who has uh, really uh, dominated um, the 50 years since he died, which is pretty impressive for any statesman, and, uh, and so he's been an ever-present um, part of, of my life, really. You know, the... Uh the Churchill movie, I think, uh, that came out uh, recently has got a lot of people at least interested in Churchill and knowledgeable about him. Uh, most people who weren't born until well after World War II probably don't even know who he was. Well, I was um, born 18 years after World War II, and I loved that movie. It, uh, I thought Gary Oldman's uh, prosthetics and his acting and the way he caught Winston Churchill's twinkle in his eye was uh, was really super and a uh, very impressive uh, performance. But we ought to know who he was because he was in many ways the person who, for over a year, kept uh, Hitler at bay until the um, until Hitler invaded Russia and then afterwards, of course, declared war on the United States. Was he able to get the United States involved in the war? He tried to, certainly, but, um, of course, ultimately that was an internal decision of yours and also... It did take the um, Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor, of course, but also Adolf Hitler to declare war on America four days later. And that's what propelled uh, the United States into the war. But you were being extremely helpful before that with uh, giving us a quarter of a million 
uh, rifles, uh, for example, and uh, destroyers, 50 destroyers, and lots of, um, of uh, money came in very soon afterwards with Lend-Lease. So uh, it wasn't as though you were entirely uninvolved. <laughs> How devastated, Andrew, was London during World War II? I mean, a lot of people not, might not be aware, but the Nazis bombed the heck out of London, didn't they? They sure did. Yes, absolutely. They bombed every single day for 130 days. Um, they killed 50,000 um, people in this country for, with their aerial bombardment. Uh, huge areas, swathes of central London were devastated and flattened. Uh, the East End, where the docks were, which, uh, of course, the um, Luftwaffe was trying to hit, um, were, were devastated too. And it was... Uh, it was really the most remarkable uh, courage of, uh, of Londoners that um, we didn't break under and buckle under the, under the stress and the pressure. Did you find anything surprising when you were putting the biography, Churchill, Walking with Destiny, together? Oh, yes, uh, lots of things. Um, I was very fortunate that um, Her Majesty the Queen allowed me to be the first Churchill biographer to be able to use her father's diaries. And King George VI met Churchill every Tuesday of the Second World War and wrote down what Churchill told him. And Churchill trusted him with all the great secrets of the Second World War, the ultra-secret secrets, the nuclear secrets, and so on, and grand strategy. And so, um, so those have been extraordinarily helpful, the King's diaries. And one of the things that they do um, make very clear is how frustrated Churchill was that the Americans were not getting more involved, that the Roosevelt administration didn't uh, didn't sort of declare war on Hitler because he saw the Second World War as a great war for uh, civilization and democracy, and he was very um, uh, irritated, really, that um, that you weren't getting more closely involved than you were. We got pulled into the war, of course, uh, with the Japanese, uh, December seventh, nineteen forty-one. What was it that got us involved with helping Britain against the Germany? Well, um, firstly, it was Adolf Hitler declaring war on you on the 11th of December 1941, so four days later. But even then, the, um, the people at the Pentagon, or the War Department as it was at the time, uh, they had already planned a Germany-first policy. That's the words given, to the, the, the name given to the overall strategic plan of the United States, which was to take out the stronger of the fascist powers, i.e. Nazi Germany, before then turning on to the uh, power that actually attacked you, of course, in the Pacific, which was Imperial Japan. Andrew, uh, Churchill was the prime minister during the war, and then he was out, and then he came back again. What got him back in? Uh, well, the, um, the socialist government from 1945 to 51 um, did all sorts of things that weren't particularly popular with the uh, British people, mass nationalization, the imposition of a very um, extensive welfare state and so on. And so by uh, 1951, the country was, uh, was pretty poor and there was a long period of austerity. Uh, people still had rationing and, um, and they were sick and tired of it. And when Winston Churchill offered a more sort of uh, free market solution, um, people voted for it. Was he a war planner? Was he very good at that? Or did he leave that to his military? No, he was a very good war planner. Um, he used to um, have great rows with the military. They would, uh, the chiefs of staff would stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning, night after night, arguing with him about where to attack and when to attack which countries and so on. Uh, and so the actual grand strategy that we adopted was the result of a sort of creative tension between the 
chiefs of staff and Churchill, but it required both of them to uh, to have their input. So he very much did not sit back and allow the generals to get on with the war. Where did uh, your travels take you researching this book? Oh, all over the place. <laughs> I went to uh, Cuba, um, where Churchill heard his first shots fired in anger in central Cuba. I, w- I went to the place where Churchill crossed the Rhine in um, March 1945. I went to the um, Gallipoli Peninsula, uh, where he um, had oversaw the, not physically, but he, he saw the uh, uh, terrible, disastrous Dardanelles campaign of the First World War. Um, I went to where he served in the trenches uh, in uh, Plergstert in Belgium. It's uh, it's been quite a journey, really, one way or another. Did he have a temper at all, Andrew? Oh yes, absolutely. He and did. He could, um, yes, he could be very caustic. He was an extremely witty man, so he knew how to use his uh, extremely sharp tongue on occasion when he he felt that people weren't pulling their weight in uh, in the war. He very much saw the Second World War, as I mentioned earlier, as a, as, a, as a Manichaean struggle between good and evil. And if he felt that people weren't um, uh, pulling their weight, then they could be tongue-lashed like nothing on earth. How effective did he use uh, broadcast to communicate with the people of uh, Britain? Well, you've just heard that wonderful uh, clip, mm-hmm. and, um, and which, as I say, is, uh, is tremendously powerful, certainly to any Englishman who, who hears those words. And uh, he went on the radio quite a lot. He broadcast to France and also to the United States, in fact, of all times, including one broadcast of September the 11th, 1940, which I think will bring tingles down the spine of any American, too. And it's a uh, tremendous power that he managed to master with regard to the radio. He was, of course, a public speaker um, from the moment he entered politics 40 years before the Second World War broke out. And so he was much practiced. What would surprise people the most about Winston Churchill? I think it would actually uh, probably be his, um, his foresight, the extraordinary capacity before the First World War to, um, to see the rise of Prussian militarism, before the Second World War to warn against Hitler and, uh, and the Nazis in a way that very few other people did, in, uh, politicians did in the West, and, uh, and to do it again and again, and not to be in any way um, dissuaded by opinion polls or focus groups or anything like that. He had no spin doctors. He had nobody who wrote his speeches. It was entirely from him. And then, of course, he also showed tremendous foresight after the Second World War when he was the first person to spot what Stalin and the Soviet communists were doing in Eastern Europe and to denounce that at the Fulton, Missouri speech, um, known as the Iron Curtain speech in March 1946. He was uh, friends with FDR. They were pretty close, weren't they? They were, yes. They were both sort of aristocrats of their own country, really, and they saw eye to eye. They, uh, uh, they had a, a good personal um, working relationship, yes. Had we not entered the war, do you think England could have taken the Nazis on by themselves? Well, no. Um, no, absolutely not. But you ha- have to remember, by that stage... In June 1941, Hitler, uh, having failed to invade Britain um, because they lost the Battle of Britain, the uh, air fight over southern England, uh, in June 1941, Hitler unleashed Blitzkrieg on Russia and brought the Soviet Union into the war. And of all 
for every five, this is a fascinating statistic, this is the Second World War, for every five uh, Germans killed in combat, by which I don't mean bombed, uh, their cities bombed from the air, I mean actually on the battlefield, mm-hmm. four of them died on the Eastern Front. So, um, so the, the, the bloodletting had already started, as it were. If the United States had not entered the war, on the other hand, it would have gone on for a very, very long time. And uh, who's to say which side would have developed the nuclear bomb first? Because right. Hitler was trying to get it. And if, if we hadn't had um, the, uh, the genius of the uh, British and American scientists working on that project, um, it's, it's anyone's guess what would have happened. We'd all be speaking Germany or German right about now, Andrew. Well, you might not have because I think you know you've got a you've got a uh, extraordinarily um, strong economy and uh, you were building up your military uh, forces as quickly as possible. But um, after having defeated, I think he could well have defeated. Uh, this is Adolf Hitler could have defeated the Russians and then turned on the United Kingdom, and we wouldn't have had a ch- we wouldn't have stood a chance. So I'd be speaking German, but you might well still be speaking English. <laughs> Do you think, though, that had they developed the atomic bomb, that he would have tried to bomb American cities with it and, and uh, flown he'd, over he'd, here? He'd have definitely, um, he'd have definitely threatened to. I mean, and had the Roosevelt administration seen London, say, uh, completely um, destroyed in the same way that Nagasaki or Hiroshima were destroyed in 1945, it could well have forced the Roosevelt administration into some kind of a ignoble um, accommodation with the uh, with the Nazis, yes. When he died, how much mourning was there in England? We're talking now about Winston Churchill. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it was a... People recognized that it was the end, of, um, not just the end of an imperial era, but the end of an entire sort of uh, era of, of um, British history. And so um, not just for the man himself who, uh, who uh, personified our finest hour. But also, there was a lot of mourning, really, for um, an England that had passed with him. And Charles de Gaulle, the French president, said, now that Churchill is dead, England is no longer a great power. And I think lots of people really felt much the same uh, way. So, yes, it was a... It was an extremely emotional moment in, um, in the history of my country. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.